Welcome to the M Success Podcast, a podcast where we rethink ministry in the 21st century here in Portland, Oregon. And we're uh, shifting the paradigm, dude. We're shifting the paradigm. We do have a tagline. That's right. I'm David Libby. And I'm Josh Hawk. And today we have a very special guest, one of my Wait, favorite... you say that every time. We have a very special guest, so... I'll, if if they weren't special, first of all, why would we invite them? But I'll be honest, if if we have a guest that's not that special, I'll say, well, our guest today is okay. I mean, it's, it's fine. Uh, no, today's is very special. We have Carlos Baca here. He is a mentor, a ministry leader here in Portland, and he... Uh, works or has worked with Family Works Ministries for how long now? Well, um, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> I have, uh, actually, it was um, Family Works was um, started off kind of like a, a ministry here at St. John's Wesleyan Church. It was kind of like one of the things. And then we decided to make it into a nonprofit and... So I'm one of the co-founders, uh, and then I became the executive director, and I think we've been doing it about 10 years. Okay. Maybe okay. a little more. So you've been with Family Works for 10 years. Tell us about Family Works, what uh, the initial idea behind Family Works was, and how you decided to really push forward with it. It kind of started um, as a conversation after church one time. <clears throat> uh, I had years of experience being a youth mentor professionally uh, with a different nonprofit called uh, uh, Friends of the Children. And then, um, but even before that, I was working for Boys and Girls Clubs, a lot of youth experience. And uh, another gentleman named John Sullivan had just finished his master's in uh, family th- uh, therapy, something like that. And uh, so he said, well, I have this talent and you have that talent. There's got to be something we can do together that um, we could apply our talents to. And I said, yeah, you know, that'd be nice. I what that is, you know, exactly. And it became now known as Family Works. But the heart really was to prevent the breakdown of families, you know. So Tell us a, what you mean by breakdown. Yeah. Well, divorce in a lot of ways is a picture of breakdown because the original intent was to be together for, you know, think about that marriage relationship. It's, it's like an apex relationship of all the relationships we have in our society. We have student teacher relationships. We have, uh, worker coworker relationships. We have relationships with our bosses. We have just, you know, peer relationships. But then there's this this relationship of marriage. And as a society, we, we, um, we can take like a thermometer and stick it, if we could just stick it in the mouth of society and kind of get an idea where it's doing, how it's doing at relationships, there's going to be a huge fever. It's going gonna, it's gonna to show this indication that we're not doing well at relationships, especially at this apex one. Cause let's say we were, um, in school and our, and we had a 
on any class we do, we're getting an F in that class. So essentially, one of the most essential relationships in our society, we're getting an F. That's, that's, that's our rating right now as a society. So if we're doing bad at that relationship, we're probably not doing good at the other ones too. You can't really be missing the mark on that really important one and not have it influence all the other relationships that are going on. Mm. And so the idea of family works is that we would proactively engage people to start thinking about their relationships. There's a purpose. There's something that they're trying to get and achieve, which is connection and long-term resiliency in those relationships. But there are threats. And what are they? And let's start thinking about them before it blows up. Don't wait. It's a really hard thing to do because think about some of these other relationships, like our relationship with food. You know, we get fat, we get fatter, fatter, but it's a slow process. And pretty soon, you know, we're going to the doctors to deal with diabetes and all these things. That's a picture of breakdown, too. Sure. So, divorce is just. You know that picture of uh, breakdown. That's sure. what breakdown looks like to me. So, so you guys get together, you and John, and you say, "We want to do something about breakdown," and you have this meeting as a church. What what happened there? Well, I don't know if it was a meeting as a church, but John and I began talking, and we invited Phil Hawk, um, who's the senior pastor, into the conversation, and then we began to think about just some action steps that we could start to do. So, you know, we did some early things like just doing a game night or something like that with families just to get them to be together, spending time together. And then, and then we would offer workshops and, and then we started doing some youth mentoring because it seemed to take on a bar, part of our skill, our talent set, you know, because I did mentoring. We figured, what if we did mentoring to, with the youth but invited the family into the process so it would become a more holistic type of mentoring and not just ignoring the parent, but bringing them into the story. Uh, so, well, Carlos, you said something just a little bit ago about hitting the mark. Um, and so right now, and kind of the, the nature of the podcast, but right now for me, I'm kind of pushing against this notion of success or achievement. Like we're, we're driven to succeed or achieve or accumulate things or um, g- kind of get an A on a report card kind of for s- one reason or another. Um, but you, you, you talk about using different language, you know, rather than success, but, but hitting the mark. And one thing I admire about you and have, you know, I, I've known you for a long time personally, um, but one of the things that I, I've admired of how you've, or kind of where you've landed is when you talk about hitting the mark, it's not, it's not this prescribed mark, I guess, or metrics or system that, uh, you, that you say, Hey, I have the answer and here's what you need to do. And here's the mark. Um, and I've, I've seen this kind of with you and probably it is, um, oh, it has come to come to kind of come to fruition or come to light probably with a lot of your kind of mentoring relationships. Um, but you are more interested in having people identify 
what their mark is. So, so it's not prescribing something and say you need to hit this mark, but it's really about getting individuals, um, you know, and maybe a, a lot of youth, getting youth to identify what it is they actually want to do um, and kind of either why they're hitting the mark or, or why they're, they're not. Um, so it, it seems like for, at least for you personally, the conversation, so let's, let's take it back to, to marriage. The conversation for you isn't as much um, making sure couples stay married, but it's are, are they listening well? Are they listening to each other, you know, or are they identifying those those breakdowns, those reasons um, why they're not able to oh, um, to hit hit their target, hit their mark, um, and do they even do they even know that? Um, well, as you started saying that, it started to make me think a little bit about what is a target, and a lot of times people wanted to say, "Well, I just we just want to be together," you know. We don't worry about trying to do a lot of stuff. And even in mentoring, I would mentor a kid for, you know, 12 years, you know, at time. And um, a lot of it was about being together more than it was, let's go accomplish something. Hmm. Yeah, And I think that's where you're, you're kind of flirting with this idea. But trying to be together and not worry about aiming at something that's like a specific kind of idea of what success is, you are essentially aiming at trying to be. Right. So that is the target then. Um, you can't avoid aiming at something. The trick is, and what you started saying is listening well, is, well, if that's what you're trying to achieve, then that becomes your target. And that means then anything that gets you, steers you away from that goal is a threat to whatever it is you're trying to do. And what I like to do in my mentoring is get people to slow down and really start to think about what are you trying to do? And then as a result of that, what now should you not be doing anymore? Because it could undermine what your, what your original goal is. So if your goal is to, is to have some time recreate, doing recreation, what are the things that get in the way of recreation? What, is, what does it look like to you to be recreating? Um, and then we can develop a strategy on how to maintain that. There's something interesting in the Bible. It says, my people perish because they have no vision. And the other translations is they, they throw off restraint because they have no vision. And as soon as you have a picture of where you want to go, that almost, and you define what that is, then that means you can't do these things anymore. So you have to say no to some things and say yes to other things. So like even when I was mentoring one kid, I said, Hey, look, I'm going to spend time with you, but I have a lot of things that I'm also trying to do in life. And I want to help you. But right now while I'm spending time with you, I'm saying no to my wife. I'm saying no to my kids. I'm saying no to family works, which I have a list of things that I never seem to ever get done. So when I say yes to you, I say no to all that. Those are all things that are very important to me. So then I turned to that young man. I said, what do you, how does that make you feel? What does that make you think of? 
And he goes, man, I must be very important. And I go, you are. However, if we're just going to eat food and not see you grow at some of the things you are trying to aim at in life, then I'm going to start to wonder if this is worth saying no to all the other things that I think are important too. And I need you to know that because I won't think less of you, but it's important for you to know what we're trying to do together when we get together once a week or once every other week. And that to me is a good, healthy relationship because we know what we're trying to do together. The opposite of that would be the breakdown of that. So we get there and we don't know what we're trying to do and we just keep getting together and we're kind of running our relationship on autopilot and we go years on years and we don't even know why we're doing it. And then one day we say, you know what? I'm done with this. And we see that happening. We do that in so many different ways. We just stop talking to the whoever it is and we stop doing it. We never close the relationship in an appropriate way. And when it comes to marriage, see, that's just a microcosm of the way we're treating all the other, other relationships. What I said earlier, how we're doing in those relationships is going to be a reflection how we're going to do with that apex relationship. Yeah. So tell me then you, you talked about if I'm with this youth, then I'm taking away from my time with my wife, time with my family. One of the things that I've experienced and I've heard from, I think every pastor in town is the difficulty of, family and work balance. Uh, tell us about how that's been for you. Well, it's a challenge, you know. I've often put ministry ahead of many relationships in my life. Um, one of the hardest times in, um, in my marriage is when I made decisions without really having a good conversation with my wife about that process of making the choice to get to be committed to a particular ministry. And as a result, you know, it created a lot of tension. However, we're both committed to each other. So we worked it through, but I had learned before I start doing something, we're going to have a conversation, you know, find out whether she's behind it or not. Right. That's a very important thing. But I, I, I even undermine my own self. Um, Often ministry, I go, well, I could go out and um, get some exercise. But there's that list of everything I need to do for family works that's longer and higher than anything. And I'm never done with that. So I all, often, I could go a couple years where I just keep doing the ministry work and not take care of myself. So you just get out of balance. You have a good heart. You want to help but you don't, um, you don't have that balance. And so it's real important to, it's one of our core values, um, in the, in the ministry for family works is balance. And so, um, and what's balanced today isn't balanced tomorrow, you know, cause I can get something to work today and then all of a sudden the circumstances change and I keep, I keep operating in the past. Like, will that work? Like just do that more do more of that it's got to eventually work and it doesn't a uh, prime example is i got injured on a camping trip with family works and i had been making progress on my health and uh, that injury 
um, created a new uh, physical paradigm for my life. Yeah. And as a, and so the strategies that I used to be successful prior to that accident didn't work anymore. Right. But I kept trying to make them work. <laughs> and it somehow there was a lag in my adjustment. And right. then I finally did. So, so family works is a very Christ focused ministry and you, uh, uh, you're trying to mentor and, and stop breakdowns, but you are a Christian. You, um, you run a, a ministry that was birthed out of the church. Uh, tell us how you came to Christ. Well, that's a long one, but, uh, I can do the condensed version. Um, I pretty much, um, grew up as a non-believer. Um, I got to about the age of 33, same year Christ started his ministry, <laughs> but, um, this thing, it was a collage, a collision of a lot of different things uh, that started eating at me. Um, I always did, even as a kid, though, I wanted to have a sense of purpose. What, why was I here? I always wanted to know. But I honestly just very much thought that um, the here, the physical world was all there was. There was no nothing beyond this. It really operated from that paradigm but yet i had this idea this that haunted me in the background about sense of purpose so they didn't go together in a lot of ways but i didn't i couldn't put two and two together at that time but um oddly enough i felt like god was seeking me out still and i didn't know it one way he got my attention to break opened my eyes to the spiritual world was uh, my brother insisted that we we play a Ouija board one night. Hmm. And I think of it as just a novelty. It's something you buy at the store. It's just, there's nothing to it. And probably most of the time there, there isn't nothing to it. But that night it was different. And it was really, um, it really cracked the ice and the paradigm of my uh, heart. I didn't go run into the arms of Jesus that night. But I remember staying up late going how did that just happen that's really weird and uh we did it a few more times and it and it was still a supernatural type of experience i still didn't go run into the arms of god and then a few years later uh, uh, my stepdad uh, was dying from a prostate cancer and i was trying to figure out how to connect with him through that like i didn't want him to feel alone i didn't know how to do it and i remember humbly sort of saying well, what if there is a God? And I asked God, I said, I, don't, I need to know how to connect with him. I don't know how to do this. And I invited him over to my house a number of times trying to talk with him about it. But we always had such a superficial relationship. We could talk sports, we could talk politics or weather, but never about what really, really mattered to him. So it was really difficult to talk about prostate cancer with him for what. And um, I just chickened out over and over again. Every time I invited him over, and then I had another friend. While all that's going on, I had another friend who was really gung-ho about Christ. And I just thought he was kind of naive. Nice guy. Loved him. But I said, I can't believe he believes in all that hocus, that nonsense, you know. And he shared a book called This Present Darkness with me. And he kept wanting me to read it. And I'm going, oh. And uh, 
I think that was a year also um, there was a movie with Meg Ryan and, and Nicolas Cage uh, called Angel uh, something. Anyway, it was kind of like angels were kind of like you could, they were active in, in the movie. They were active. You could, you couldn't see them and they were just there doing things behind the scenes. And that really, uh, I think it was called city of angels, city of angels, That's 1998. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that kind of was on my mind in the background, but this book was kind of like that. I'm going, Ooh, man, this would make a good movie. You know, so if they could really Hollywood could get a hold of this, this could really be something. And it really got me thinking in the climax of the book, good versus evil is like three o'clock in the afternoon on the last Sunday of August. And when I got to that part in the book, it was three o'clock in the afternoon, the last Sunday in August. What's the chance of that? I was like, whoa, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> and uh, I started really thinking about spiritual things. I, you know, and there was that combination of the Ouija board and all these things. I said, man, spiritual thing probably really exists. And I just couldn't stop thinking about there's probably, I'm probably being manipulated by spiritual forces somehow. I feel like I need to go talk to Phil Hawk. I didn't even know him at the time. I just knew it was this guy who always had a, a really stupid smile on his face all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, that guy, I feel like I need to talk to him. And I kept wanting to go. And so I get up and I was hostile towards Christianity. I was even telling my friends and family, don't ask me to go to church no more. I'll let you know when I want to go. And so suddenly, in humility, I go, on, hey, uh, when's that one church start? When, when do they have service? Woke up on Sunday morning about two weeks after the closure of that book. I ended out um, um, trying to meet with Phil. I said, I said, let's go over and see him. But church was already, the morning church service was over. It just so happened that Phil had a meeting with my then mother-in-law <laughs> later that afternoon. And we were going to be at the house at the same time that was happening. I'm like, wow, I, I wanted to talk to this guy. And now suddenly... He's in my path. And um, I gave my life to the Lord that night. Wow. And I said, well, I really like watching football on Sundays and stuff like that. Can I go to church at night? Is that count? Is that good enough? Is it does it give you is this as good as going in the morning? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's, you can do that. It's just good. And he knows probably it doesn't matter what, what good enough. It's, it's how you're re- relating to God. But I didn't know that. I just looked at it as the way a non-believer might look at it, like brownie points, you know. <laughs> but I just knew in my spirit that I needed something, and I didn't know what it was exactly. So I gave my life to the Lord. And he said, well, I know you don't want to go too fast, so uh, let me talk to you about the idea of uh, of um, baptism. And, um, and then um, we ended out... Um, tell me what it was and he said uh, I said well you know what I like to swim let's do it <laughs> and I just felt that it was the right thing to do and we get here and we did my baptism about two weeks later and then he gives you the mic you know after you get the dunk and you come back up and he says what you got anything to say I'm going oh let's just do this one more time to make sure so I'm a double <laughs> I'm actually a double dipper <laughs> They don't invite wow. me to parties because of that. But so you're 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 like two percent more saved than everyone else. I don't know if I'm. Yeah. Do- I just I just I just felt good, and my life really changed <laughs> from then. You know, I really started seeing things differently, 
And I get this call the like two days after I'd made the decision to come to the Lord. And it was my brother calling me saying that my dad was going went to the hospital mm. uh, for prostate cancer issues. And I realized I have God in my court now and I didn't have that. I wasn't chicken anymore. And I didn't cave in and I was able to talk with him and really connect with him. Ended out nursing him in his final days to his death. But as a result of that, really connected with him in a way that I couldn't have before. It's almost like God used that, his life, to help help me get closer to God himself. Wow. And I was never, and then once I became a Christian, I just sat in the pews kind of more uncomfortable, and I was hungry, but I said, this cannot possibly be what it is to be a Christian, is to go to church week after week and just sit here, uh, pew sitting and sermon tasting. There's got to be more than this. I just feel really discontent about this process. Something's got to be more. And it's not till I really jumped into ministry um, that I felt full. Right. Hmm. This idea of kind of giving of yourself, maybe. Um, there are a couple things that, a couple words, I guess. The, f- the first is you talked about the purpose, having a purpose in life. And I definitely sense, just in conversation with people, kind of my own life, there's this yearning, this desire, this draw to like, there's got to be something more than just what we're doing. Um, so maybe speak to that a little bit and kind of that that process um, of kind of where you've arrived now, I guess, you know, how kind of what, where do you see kind of your purpose in life and how has that maybe kind of filled some of that yearning or that desire? And then the other word is intentionality. And so when you talk about hitting the mark, um, just being intentional in what we're doing, I guess, you know, and so you're sitting there, you know, at church thinking, oh, there, there must be more than this. There, there's this emptiness, there's this longing. Um, and for a lot of people, they just, they go, oh, I guess this is, this is it. But for you, I think, you know, even years and years ago at that moment, um, there's this draw, there's this intentionality. You're like, I have to be intentional in how maybe kind of living in that purpose, um, of life that, that God has for me. Well, as I sat there kind of searching for what my role might be in this this relationship with God, I I did feel like I wanted to get out and do something, but I was thinking, what am I already good at? And I began reading things where God gives you talents, you know, and and, um, and so I said, well, all these things I'm already kind of naturally good at and want to do or have been doing, maybe that's not an accident either. You know, I've already put a lot of time into working with youth. Um, so it must be connected to that in some way, you know, and that's where my opportunities started coming, you know, like right after I became a Christian, you know, the friends of the children came on board and I started working for them. And, um, and it became a kind of a ministry, even though it wasn't a a faith-based nonprofit in any way, you know, but it was about relationships. And the one thing I started learning is that one God, we were created to be in relationship with God, 
We're created to be in relationship with each other. So that create that is a purpose in itself. Um, and so, um, I've also experienced a lot of breakdown relationships. You know, I've had you know a divorce. Um, but I've also, you know, my dad left the scene. You know, so I understand what it's like to have things not turn out the way it was intended. And so uh, because of that, I think I related well with kids who were in that situation. Some of my best mentoring has been to kids who, who don't have fathers um, or their family life has, has broken down a lot. And so they're you know, dealing with divorce too from being a kid. Either way, uh, or a kid that was living in a family that has had divorce happen. Um, I just was able to sort of connect with those kind of kids, but also not give them, um, you know, some mentors would come and just feel sorry for them. And I never really did that. I said, look, you can do this. Mm. You, my expectations are that you're going to overcome it, that you're going to do something with it. And you're not going to sit there and, and blame everything for why it's going this way. You know, get up, let's do something. And so I approach relationship that way. Um, and uh, I began to look at every kid that I was mentoring. And uh, one kid, you know, he kind of looked at it, I think, just as a recreational kind of experience. And I just, we were at a movie theater one time and I turned to him. He's He's like, I think he's like 12. And I said, hey, because um, the movie hadn't started yet and we're waiting for it to start. And I said to him, hey, are you content just doing this? He, technically, he would be, I would be his mentor till he's 18. I said, do you want to do this? Go to movies, just do these fun things for the next six years? Is that satisfying to you? He goes, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm not. And I think that began him thinking a lot, you know. And I was having that conversation with all the kids. I said, what are we, what are we doing? You know, I started even picking movies that would teach, a, teach something about life. And I said, you know, I, I didn't just pick this movie because I thought it would be fun to go. I thought I picked this movie because I thought it would help you. I've been thinking a lot about who you are. And I think this is a great topic. It's something to think about and talk about. And the kids would go, really? You, you think about that much? And I think they began to appreciate the fact that it wasn't arbitrary. Nothing is an accident in, in the way I approach mentoring. And so if we were going to the movie or we went out to eat, there was a lesson to be taught in it, everything. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then I used that to challenge them to become who God had created them to become despite the setbacks or whatever it is. The, mm -hmm. So, right. So, uh, I was a youth pastor for quite a few years and I know Josh, you've worked with youth as well. And I heard Mark Ostriker say one time that you can't save everyone. You'll come in thinking you can save everybody and ultimately you don't. Um, and I have to imagine that's the same with mentoring. 
that you you pour yourself into some of these relationships and ultimately uh, the the goal that you're shooting for the end that you and this student are shooting for does not um, come about can you can you tell us like the impact on yourself when uh, things don't go the way that they were planned um there's a couple good examples one kid um that didn't turn out the way i thought it would was probably not because he didn't engage it's very important to know like when you're mentoring somebody it's a two-way street you know you have the mentee and you have the mentor you got two people there right and the most successful relationships I've ever had was when the mentee understood what it was to be a mentee and responded. And the mentor, most of the mentors that friends of the children are always trying to mentor. They're trying, and then you have this unresponsiveness over here. And so it's very important to explain what it is to be mentor, a mentor and a mentee relationship to them, to each other. Yeah. But... When you get a kid who's in the first grade and you start mentoring him, cognitively, he's not understanding that big picture. So there's never that. Sometimes you can go too long without not having that conversation because you're waiting for them to be old enough to get it. Um, but anyway, this kid was probably a fifth grade, sixth grade, somewhere in there. And I just assumed I had more time to work with him. I'll have that conversation with him later. Sure. But then, like, I call him up one day and I say, hey, y'all, he moved. Or I went on vacation, I came back, and he had moved to the East Coast. <laughs> oh, no. And I was assuming I'm going to be mentoring this kid till he's 18 years old. Right. And I was like, whoa. You, got, you can't be waiting to have that conversation. And so I began changing on how my approach was because of that one relationship there and how I would engage more, become more intentional. But yeah. It, I feel like it's sad when they don't respond though. Um, I was never really discouraged by like a bad thing happening. I have one kid who was arrested for armed robbery, but I feel like he was, he was responsive to mentoring. It was the same kid. I had that conversation in the movie theater with, hmm. But he was get, he still was getting into trouble, getting into trouble. And I went to visit him in prison over and over again. Even friends of the children, they weren't even paying me to go there anymore. Because once he got incarcerated, uh, he was out of the program. So they wouldn't pay me to go see him anymore. And it dawned on him when he was in at the beginning of his legal problems. He was over at the juvenile detention center. And, it, and he looked at me and goes, I'm going to prison. And you won't even be my mentor like it anymore because I'm not going to, I want to be here and I'll be well over 18 by the time I'm out. And I said, don't worry about it, man. I'm, I'm going to follow you through this, the whole thing. I, I don't care what friends says or does. Sure. That's not my problem. Friends. When I say friends, friends of the children, I am not here because friends sent me here. I'm here because God sent me here. And I'm not giving up on you. 
So then one time we were down there visiting him and he says, um, he was down in Medford. I had to drive all the way down there to see him um, for one hour. I'd see him for one hour visit. That's a long drive <laughs> for an hour visit. I know. And I did it like five times at least. Wow. He didn't even get paid for it. He didn't get like... paid for it. Um, but one time they say, okay, wrap your conversation up. And I said, um, what, what would you do if you could go with me? He'd already been incarcerated now for about four years at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, and I'm thinking he wants to go out and just live it up, you know, because just really, you know, lavish something really wonderful, a party, go get some the best meal you can think of. He said, if I were to leave with you right now, I would just want to go for a walk in a straight line where I can see the horizon and just keep walking straight. Something simple like that. Because it can only walk in this courtyard and it goes around and around. For four years, this was all he's known. Right. He said, another thing, I would like to go take a shower. And I want to leave it on hot. And I want to be by myself when I take the shower. <laughs> that was a, a big shift for him. I, and... Um, I was humbled by that in a lot of ways. There's some really things that you can start to appreciate when you start to see life that way. And um, he never had a bed. And all the time he's growing up, he always slept on the couch. And then later on, as an adult, he got married. He managed to graduate from high school, by the way. He was a valedictorian of the school in prison. And he gave the commencement speech. And I went down there for that. From prison? From prison. He got... A full degree. He never even really went to school past the sixth grade that much. Well, so so hang on. I know this doesn't matter, but they did they like Skype him in, or did did they let they him? have a school in the in the prison? Oh, for because it was te- you know it was kids. Oh, was, gotcha. Okay, okay. I wasn't trying. These are all, all right. youth offenders. All right, and uh, I'm with you. But um, but he ended up being the graduate uh, valedictorian, and he and he was like a source of inspiration to other students there. Come on, we can do this, and yeah. Um, and he had, and, and he gave credit to me and he said, when Carlos would come over, he said, there, my life was not easy and I didn't have a bed. I didn't have, and when Carlos showed up as my mentor, it was like life was normal for the time that we were together. Like all this other stuff wasn't going on, but, um, but he would say, you know, um, he, when he got married, I see that as the fruit of the labor, you know? How it turned out to be a success story. You know, the measurements for success that Friends of the Children had is that the kids did not engage in um, the juvenile justice system, didn't get anybody pregnant, and uh, graduated high school. But because he went to prison, he didn't get counted for graduating high school, even though he did. He was counted as a dropout, and he did get in the juvenile justice system, obviously. Right. And I don't know if he got anybody pregnant. He might have, but <laughs> right. But that's still <laughs> but two it, out of three. Um, but either way, he did not. He would not be the poster child or put in the brochure for friends of the children. And to me, that was a breakthrough story. Yeah, yeah. Because he got to now he gets married, and he has a daughter, who was already. It wasn't actually his biological, but he treats her like his. And I remember meeting with him at, um, just a couple years ago, 
And he said, we invited somebody to live with us. And they said, uh, and they said, well, let me, let me take the bedroom and we'll put your daughter out on the couch. And he says, over my dead body. <laughs> and I saw that. I saw what he experienced. He put that, he said, there's no way my daughter is sleeping out on that couch. You will be sleeping out on that couch, but not her. And he was, he was protecting her. That's growth. He didn't, he didn't have that kind of home. It's still a challenge for him in a lot of ways, but, um, and then there were some kids who made, who looked, who fit the criteria. No, who, um, um, didn't, did graduate, didn't get anybody pregnant, stayed out of the juvenile justice system. So by the friends of children's standards, that was a success. Yeah. But when I listen to their Facebook posts, I see them cause I'm friends with them. It's like life sucks. Oh, woe is me. And I was like, what, what, what we have to do to reach that person? You know, why did that process work for him? And that's what you ask yourself as a mentor. Mm. So I guess my, my strategy is, you know, do the best I can because you never know when that day, you're not gonna, you don't always have the future, you have now to mentor. You don't have that future. So you mentor what you can that day, you do well at it, and you have to live with a peace of mind knowing that you did do your best that day. And there's always going to be that chance that they won't receive. The mentee doesn't always respond. And the mentor tries, the mentor tries. And it really reminds me of the relationship Jesus has with us. He's our mentor. He's trying to get us to respond. And we don't. That's a breakdown. When we respond to Jesus, then that, that's a beautiful mentoring relationship that we have with him. Hmm. And he takes us and helps us have the breakthrough instead of the breakdown. Last week we had Phil Hawk, my dad, and you've mentioned Phil, you know, as being important in your life, Carlos. Um, but David, what was the phrase that, that he said? Is it faithful constants? Faithful and constant. Yeah. Being, being faithful and being constant. Yeah. And, and Carlos, you know, as I listen to you, as l- listen to you share this idea of success. So going kind of some of the stories of, you know, friends of the children. I'm sure some of the, you know, even some of the youth over the years that you have kind of mentored, they look quite successful. They become the poster child, you know, they become the person on the the pamphlets, you know, or the, they're the ones that the stories are written, you know, but, but for this individual, for you, that was the, is an unsuccessful outcome, you know, according to at least their standards or really the, you know, it, the the world's perception, you know, here he he ended in in jail and he was just kind of written off by by society. But because of your faithfulness, your obedience in that long direction and that that constant faithfulness, um, you know, it's made an impact in in some way in his life, you know, and um, and there's oh man, you you have. You have been in it for the long haul, and there's lots of times, you know, just today that you've mentioned relationships, like the key, the purpose, you know, in life is really rooted in in relationships. And so, what are those things that we can do? How can we be 
little bit more intentional in shoring up those relationships, you know, making sure those relationships, you know, are, um, are sustainable maybe, or kind of continue on. Um, so yeah, so that's something that really kind of strikes and has been kind of a recurring theme. Um, this idea of relationships that says no matter what happens, even if you become an unsuccess, even if you become a failure, even if you drop out of the system, like I'm still going to be your friend. I'm still going to love and, and care for you. Um, and I think that's very much, you know, our relationship with God. You know, I see that I've been a recipient of that over and over again, you know, where, where God says, yeah, you've screwed up, you've messed up, but I still love you. I'm still here for you. Um, and so that call for us in, in all that we do, you know, in, in leading organizations or businesses or churches or even our, our own family, um, you know, being careful not to kind of set certain expectations that actually kind of hinder a relationship, but first and foremost, being centered on that relationship and being intentional in that. So what's your question? <laughs> question in the Respond. form of a statement. There's <laughs> a Jeopardy question there, right? I, one thing that grabs me about what you're saying, I just feel like um, I heard this idea of um, we also, I think one of the things that God asks us to do is to love others, right? Like, right. like we love ourselves. And there's a creative element in that. And so as I look at who I am, what I I know what I want in my heart. I know how I want to be loved. Yeah. And so God doesn't say, okay, you know how you want to be loved. If you sit around and wait for that to happen, it probably will never happen. But since you have this vision of what it looks like to be loved, and go out and do that for others. Give that to somebody. And then, so this really has to be the power of the stick to itness of a long-term mentoring and long-term relationship development is how we see them. If we see them as objects, then we will walk away disappointed in the ministry of that person because they're not going to do what you want them to do. So they're not bottle caps and they're not pieces of lint and you can't just move them around. And we do this in ministry sometimes with people because we want to see them become something. And so they don't follow our, our, our words. But what, the, what transforms them is just like knowing I went down there to see him over and over again. He, he knows that. Mm-hmm. And that, that spoke to him about how important he was. Or even telling the other young man that I was telling you about at the beginning, I, I'm giving up all this to spend some time with you. Mm-hmm. And it's how I see him. You are worth my time. I'm going to give it to you. And that is transformative in a lot of ways. And I can be creative about that. So another story I have about the creativeness. One time I got involved with uh, going to Russia a number of times on short-term missions. And Randall Cheney came to me and he said, here's how you get ready for a mission trip. You got to get yourself a prayer team and you got to get people behind you that are going to support you. So I'm going, oh man, okay. So I was on like 
I was headed off to one Wesleyan District Conference, and there was going to be all these pastors there. I said, this is going to be cake. I want to get all these guys to be on my prayer team. They're going to just do it. And I remember saying, hey, I, I'm, going, I'm, going on this, I'm going to Russia. And I went to all these pastors, and they all kept going, uh. They started stumbling on their words. And going, uh, yeah, let me pray about that. You got to pray about praying? <laughs> I walk, mm. I just walked away very discouraged and disappointed because I had this idea how I needed to be supported and what I was going to go do. And God got a hold of my heart and said, man, don't, don't resent what they did. They don't know. What I want you to do is to go and love people that way. Mm. So then a Philippines trip came up, and I didn't actually go on the trip, but I said, Hey, who's in charge of this trip? Who? And I went to that person and I said, who's on the, who's, who's on, who's on the team? I need to know. And they give me the list of people and I go on, can I get their phone numbers? And I called every one of them and I let them know, Hey, my name's Carlos. I go to this church. You don't even know me. And I want you to know, I want to be on your prayer team. Mm-hmm. And I, I want you to know I'm behind you. Would you tell me what struggles you're facing as you prepare so that I can pray better? Would you send me a picture of you and your family? Would you write that down in a paragraph for me? Because I'm going to go ask other people to get behind you. Yeah. And I'm going to share your little story. And when I got here, I asked Phil, can I just have a minute, church, get up there, put her face up? I said, this is Joyce Thorne. And she's going to the Philippines. And she's worried. She's never been away from her seven-year-old son for that long before. And she's worried about that. And this is the burden. She said, who would, be, who would pray for her? Mm-hmm. And don't do it so easily and say, yeah, I'll pray for her. you got to call her and you got to let her know who you are and that you're praying for her and, and you want to hear her story. Mm-hmm. If, you don't, if you can't do that, don't even sign up for this. And then pretty soon they're all talking we got all these different people, you know, praying for each other. Either way, there was no, and then they, I even would like say, hey, I'm going to sit in my chair all night long as you sit in the airplane headed to the Philippines. I'm going to sleep in my chair because I know you got to sleep in your chair. I didn't know, God did not say, this is what you need to do to love others the way you want to be loved. But see, because I had this idea of what I wanted, I, I want to feel like people are behind me. I'm going to do whatever I can in a creative way. Yeah. There's no list of do this, do that. God has given us the ability to create because we're made in his image. And he said, I just asked you to go love people. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but just get excited about it and do it in your unique way. Mm. And see what happens in, the, in this world. And I do that when I go to work. I'm always, I, I can't stop being Carlos. And God's made me that way. And when I see kids or even coworkers, I just say, hey, how do I uniquely be, be me to you mm. and, and invest in your life? One guy was saying, man, dang it. One bus driver uh, that I, he said, I got no uh, dustpan in my bus. What's wrong with the school district? Why don't they care? <laughs> and so I was at Cash and Carry later that day and I saw, I saw a dustpan and I bought it. Then I saw him the next day, and I said, hey, I bought this for you. It's for your bus. All of a sudden, I didn't hear, he, he didn't go, well, that school district or anything anymore. He just said, wow, okay. 
<laughs> and uh, instead of getting in on with him to complain about what the school district ain't yeah. doing, I just I just said, well, I'm going to love you. I'm going to do something for you. That's good. How can I uniquely be me to you? Yeah. I like that. Let's get a bumper sticker. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well, Eugene Peterson uh, talked about that. He said... Uh, people would come up to him because he's a, he's a well-known author and pastor and they'd say, uh, how do I become a pastor? And he said, stop asking that question. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just be you, be yourself. That's, that's yeah. how to do ministry. And it sounds like you found, uh, that, that lesson as well. Uh, you don't need to love people in a certain way. Just be you. Just do it. I can't stop being me. It's not, it's impossible. Yeah. But I also need to see them not as objects. I think that's real yeah, important. Yeah. I have to see them, and uh, and I don't always do this. I I got um, one of the kids I'm mentoring right now. We had this long discussion. I thought there was a breakthrough, and I actually kind of got mad at him. And I was like, we finally we started processing together, and I actually said, man, I didn't even realize how I was uh, put. I had expectations about you already, just like that. I, I, I'm sorry. I had to tell him I was sorry, and that. Um, and he said, "Man, that's okay. Don't worry about it." And I, but I've seen growth from him. But I, I, I felt like I was going to see more growth or something like that. And I, and I fell into that trap. It can fall into it so easily. So even though I talk this way, you know, all the time, it doesn't mean that I, I can't do it. Right. It's good. I remember growing up. Um, when I was not nice to my brothers, my mom would say, oh, the Bible says you need to love others like you want to be loved. And I'd say, yeah, but he did this to me. You know, like I got to love him like he loves me. <laughs> and and how many times, man, how many times do we do that? You know, we, we laugh at that. And we, it's like it's silly. But, man, you know, with your friend at the bus, you know, at the bus driver, like we jump in and we complain about that, too. You know, we're like, I ain't loving him. He he didn't do this to me or, you know, with our neighbors, we, you know, if they do something mean to us, you know, then we kind of retaliate. And, um, and there's so much kind of freedom in getting to that point. Even if, even if we don't get love back, I think that's the trick too, you know, of, of having to love completely, you know, sacrificially to pour into those relationships, um, not as objects, not as something that we can get in return, but say, man, this is how I would like to be loved. So, I'm going to go ahead and do that and kind of the transforming power. Um, you know, just to, as we kind of wrap up, I think going back, David, to one of your th- questions or concerns right at the beginning, you know, when Carlos was telling, telling this kid, you know, I'm giving up, I'm sacrificing a lot to be with you right now. You know, I'm sacrificing my time with my family. Um, I think all of our relationships need to, need to, to realize that, you know, I think of, that time with my family too. I'm like, huh. you know, telling my wife, telling my children, look, I value you. I want to be with you. And so there are other things that I could be doing. There's plenty of things to do, you know, plenty of things to busy ourselves with. Um, but I'm giving those up to be with you because you matter. Yeah. Um, I think being intentional about that kind of conversation with, cause I did that on purpose with that yeah. young person. And I wanted to know what they're getting. And I think all of us need to maybe be a little bit more intentional about the way we're relating to each other, not just run it on autopilot. Yeah. Right. You know, 
It's inverted because then that really teaches us to drink it in for that mm. moment. And I think God wants us to drink each other in. I think about like when we get to heaven, you know, we're going to be all these people. Somebody said to me one time, well, I, I go to the church, but I, I, I don't get along with so-and-so. But we just we just keep our distance, you know. And I go, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? That's what I'm thinking. Is we just going to have a whole lot of people up there? That's, it's a big place, man. We don't have to ever get to know each other. You just you go, you stay over there. I'll stay over here. How's that going to be any different than where we're at now? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's the, what's the difference? You know it'll just be hell up there then. And uh, one of the boys on my the boy on my bus there that I'm mentoring right now. He has this issue with another boy on the bus. And I tried to get him to say, you need to find some good things about him. You, you, just, you just spent 20 minutes telling me everything he does wrong. I need you to tell me some things that he does right. Do you, can you think of any? And he, he, he spent another 20 minutes and he's like, I can't think of any. And I'm going, you can't see him. There's more to him than what you see is wrong. And... Um, and when we get to heaven, I said, what if you two get up there and you both are in heaven? What are you going to do with him then? He goes, well, I don't know, man. I said, what, God might not be able to let you in if you can't figure it out. Because <laughs> what's going to happen is you're just going to corrupt everything up there. Or if it's up or down, or I don't know. But either way, it's not going to be heaven. Right? And he's like, yeah. So you got to figure out how you can see him better than mm. what you're doing right now and 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 look luckily it, it's gotten there you know mm. but that's that's what i like to do is help people see their relationships in a new way and um yeah. well yeah. carlos thanks for your time thanks for discussing talking with us and um it's great to have you on the show you can follow Carlos by just Googling his name, probably. Yeah, you're on Facebook. Or are you on any other social media? Just search for Carlos Baca, and you'll inevitably find him somewhere. Sure. <laughs> um, and where, you can find where do we find way. Where do we find Family Works Ministries online? Famworks.org. Famworks.org. Famworks.org, yeah. Um, check it out. Pretty awesome ministry. And uh, so, yeah, you can follow me at Josh Hawk PDX. Yep, and I'm uh, at David Libby 13 on Twitter and Facebook, and I'm also on Instagram as well. Uh, comment on this episode and tell us what you think. We'd like to keep this conversation going. Thank you for listening to the Unsuccess Podcast. This is Josh Hawk. And I'm David Libby. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>